the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, February 26th. The NFL offseason is in full steam. The league has officially dropped the numbers on a Friday afternoon, usually a slow time for sports leagues, but we dealt with it. Plenty of articles on spotrack.com detailing the historic 254.255.4 million, excuse me, league salary cap. Uh, easily at least 5 million more than anybody was expecting. Uh, there were a lot of people saying this thing was going to get two or near 250, even though we kind of stuck our guns with the 242 and a half because it was the percentage increase over the last couple of seasons. The difference. The COVID paybacks have been paid back. So they are basically now all in the black in terms of the ups and downs and the roller coaster we went through with the COVID seasons and the, uh, the lack of revenue in some, in some cases. But look, this is a heavily profitable league in every aspect. We know this, this streaming stuff. It's, by the way, only getting better now with Amazon Prime taking a playoff game next year. Expect more big from this number in the future. And I would imagine that maybe not 30 million a year because like i said there was some catching up to do here with this one this was 30.6 million increased from 2023's number i have to imagine if the going rate was between 10 and 15 before we're just going to be a 15 to 20 million dollar increase league now so 275 next year is probably where we're going to start this projection process for the 2025 nfl season so plan accordingly Understand that the franchise tags and the uh, restricted tenders and all those things that are connected will slide up along with that. And that's kind of the discussion here to start. A couple of segments to get through today. Um, we will start with the numbers I mentioned and a few more minimum salaries, what the vet minimum benefit has to do with this year, uh, the franchise tag values, etc. And then I'm going to switch gears to a couple of things that have happened uh, over the course of the past 48 to 72 hours in the NFL and then in major league baseball as well. So that's T Higgins getting slapped with a franchise tag. Some discussions about Mike Evans possibly getting close to return to Tampa Bay and what that number may look like in order to keep him off of the open market. A Scott Boris client has officially signed. Cody Bellinger has locked in with the Chicago Cubs, the team he kind of resurrected his career with last season. Makes a lot of sense. We'll talk about the structure of that contract and what it might mean for the other Scott Boris clients still looking for work right now. And speaking of which, <clears throat> Bryce Harper um, will be the final segment today. If you haven't heard this, I don't blame you. It's an NFL offseason and there's a lot of other things going on. Um, I kind of had to dig to make sure this one was real. And I'm not positive that it's real, real. But somebody inside this situation is floating out the idea that Bryce Harper probably needs a contract extension soon. I'm going to tell you. My thoughts, the numbers, where we stand, where things might get to, and uh, why that's a pretty fascinating situation, especially on the heels of four major Scott Boris clients not with a contract and the Major League Baseball season about exactly one month away from starting. So it's a a fascinating dynamic that Scott Boris continues to bring every single season. We'll discuss that at the back end. Quickly, off the top here, some super nerdy stuff. The most recent article on Spotrat.com details Basically, every replication number from 255.4 in the NFL for 2024. So I give you a breakdown of the last 10 salary caps, the, the monetary increase, the percent increase. Obviously, you can see 
in plain sight that the, the, the dollar per dollar increase is well, 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 well above anything we've seen. The last time we saw this was going from the negative impact that 20 to 21 brought us and then a little bit of a catch up to get us to 2022, which was just under 26 million increased back to 208. So we're, uh, we're in really good situation. Like I said, I'm expecting at least a $20 million increase for 2025, but that's for another time. I got a lot of questions when this dropped, right? Because the, the focus goes, whoa, that's high. What else can we do? But also, and there's a lot of baseball being written into this because this comes up a lot with five or six teams in Major League Baseball. I got a lot of questions about, well, what about the floor? What does that look like now that that number is so high? What about the teams that maybe aren't trying right now and they just have to kind of be status quo either for this season or next season? It is a multi-year situation. The CBA has very specific terms for this next 10 years. And we just we just so happen to be in the start of one of those terms in 2024. So for the next three seasons, 2024, 2025, and 2026, teams have to spend 90% of the combined salary cap totals. So in this piece, for instance, I say, if the next three salary cap maximums are 255, 265, and 275, which is 795 million combined, each team has to spend at least $715.5 million cash over the next three seasons, or there's replications. I'm not going to get to those. It's, it's unbelievably rare that anybody does this. It's not a tanking league. And even if it is a tanking league, generally speaking, teams have so much you know, uh, leftover cash that they have to pay out from contracts that they can't get rid of, that it just works its way out. Now, it is something we monitor in certain cases. We had, when the salary cap maximum kind of came back into vogue in 2011, people were still figuring this thing out. So there was a lot of up and down and roller coasters like we talked about. So it is something we, we do monitor, and this will be the start of the next monitoring process. But that's how it works. 90% of the combined total in cash. All right? Again, if you don't understand that, I did a, a, a visual example on spytrack.com in the piece. Minimum salaries. They didn't get affected by this. They were CBA driven, but good to know for the upcoming season, they range from 795. That's what every single rookie who is drafted or goes undrafted this year in the NFL will earn, at least from a non-guaranteed standpoint. And if you're a 10 plus year veteran, actually, if you're a seven plus year veteran in this league, your minimum salary is 1.21 million. And why is that number important? That will be Russell Wilson's minimum salary. And why is that important? If and when, and, and most likely still, the Denver Broncos do outright release Russell Wilson with that post-June 1st designation, that $39 million cash contains offset language, which means Pittsburgh, Tennessee, etc. want to go and sign him. It is their benefit to just say, hey, are you good with just a base minimum salary? We'll stack some incentives in there just to you know, incentivize the whole process, playoff berths and whatnot. And if you end up making 1.2 million, that's what we'll pay you. And Denver will pay the, th- the other 37 million. If you end up making more because we had a great season, we'll pay that. And Denver, will, uh, you understand where I'm going here. So there's, it's not just the bottom of the barrel making these salaries. There are certain scenarios where this comes into play. Um, and then piggybacking off of that, players who just can't find a multi-year guarantee, who have to settle for anything just to be on a roster, <clears throat> there is 
a veteran minimum salary cap benefit. I've talked about this before. It's always worth bringing up, though, because um, if you're kind of looking at this stuff for the first time, especially of your favorite team's cap table, you're going to see a situation where a player has a, a base salary of $1 million, $1.5 million, and their cap hits $985,000. So how the hell does that happen, right? This is how it happens, right? And I, and I do do a, a deep dive from a visual standpoint in this article. But for the most part, if you've got four or more experience, four or more years, and you sign for the minimum base salary with up to but not exceeding $167,500 of bonus money, all right, and that's this year specific, it's in the CBA, there's a new bonus allocation every year. It increases slightly. So 167500 that's signing bonus, per game active bonus, roster bonuses, workout bonuses. All of that combined can't go over that number with a base salary. And you can, you can get a salary cap benefit, a decreased salary cap for the 2024 season. Again, I shell this out better in, in the article. I just want you guys to be aware that it exists. It's going to be extremely popular all right the you're gonna read a lot of articles about how the middle class in football is gone this is kind of why why would i sign a guy for five million when if i just do this i can drop his cap at under a million dollars and probably sign three versions of that player for depth purposes yeah there's a lot of that going around uh it's important there's dozens and dozens of players that get this every year a lot of them make the rosters because their value so it's an important moniker it's not going away uh not not a complicated uh calculation, but one you should probably have in your back pocket for sure. Restricted free agency. <clears throat> There's really four iterations of this in terms of how teams can allocate a restricted free agent tender. Uh, the most common is the lowest price point, which is called the right of first refusal. Basically, that means, and this year it's just under 3 million, 2.985 million. Restricted free agent is tagged with this low, low offer. If at any point in time, an offer sheet comes in and that player says, yes, I'm signing this offer sheet. I want this contract. The right of first refusal says, all right, well, the, the losing team, the original team can match that contract. But if they don't, and this player signs and goes to this new team, the losing team gets nothing, no draft compensation whatsoever. You kind of hedge your bets on this one, right? Most players are not going to get an offer sheet. So if you can sneak them in on this less than $3 million cash and cap hit, you're going to do it. The next one comes in at $3.1 million, So about $200,000 north of the right of future refusal. And it comes with an original round tender. It's exactly what it sounds like. Player signs an offer sheet. The, other team, the, the original team does not match it. Player goes to the new team on that contract. Wherever that player was drafted originally, is the draft pick that comes back to the losing team. So if he was a fourth round pick, the losing team gets a fourth round pick in next year's draft. Pretty simple stuff. Same concept with the second round tender, which is $4.9 million this year. We'll see a few of these for sure. Offer sheet assigned, player leaves. That team has to give the losing team a second round pick. And then of course, the first round tender, $6.8 million this year. Player leaves. First round pick is coming back in terms of compensation for losing that player via an offer sheet this offseason. It's a unicorn, <laughs> okay? These restricted t- uh, offer sheets in every sport. It's not just the NFL. In fact, we've seen quite a few in the NFL, at least over this decade. It's a dying art in, ba- in baseball, it's a di- excuse me, in basketball. And it's basically like a, an unwritten 
do not disturb in hockey. And there's a lot of really fun conversations out there about how GMs are just afraid to even consider the opportunity of doing it there. I don't know. I feel like the NFL still has a little bit of juice with this. So monitor that free agent list, check out the restricted free agents, kind of figure out which players could have a chance of sliding over to a new team at some point in time who may be in line for a first or second round tender, things like that. Um, There's certainly some value to be had going in either direction. Speaking of which, the franchise tag numbers have been updated officially per this new salary cap. The quarterback number is now 38.3 million. That's a wow. All right. That's a wow. The second highest is 24 million. That's the linebacker. And certainly that's controversial because that includes off-ball linebackers, inside linebackers, and edge defender linebackers, outside linebackers. So it's a wide range of players at a big number, which is going to reduce the ability for teams to use it, which is probably a good thing, right? If if you're thinking about it in one direction. If we go down from there. Defensive tackles, man, have they had a couple of years. It was the offseason of them last year with four big contracts. We saw a few more in-season extensions at that position. Chris Jones is the top free agent right now, so it's not like that's going away. $22.1 million to tag a defensive tackle, though that does not apply to Chris Jones because of what he made last year. Uh, his number is actually 32.1, so quite, quite more for the Chiefs to keep him around before March 13th. Uh, offensive tackles, excuse me, offensive linemen as a whole, guards, centers, tackles, just under 21 million. Defensive ends, again, super non-specific in in this day and age, but it is what it is. 21.3 million, so almost an entire $3 million difference between an edge defender, defensive end, and an edge defender, outside linebacker. That's tough. And if that gap continues to increase, Something's really going to have to get done with that, but um, that's for another time for sure because the CBA has eight more seasons left on it. Uh, wide receivers, $21.8 million. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Cornerbacks, just under 20. Safeties, just over 17. Those two should be kind of moving together right now, even though there's still some buzz about that safety position being devalued. We shall see. There's a couple of nice, nice players coming up again this year. Jesse Bates has done well on his big free agent contract through one season. We'll see if he can keep that up. That's what has to happen. You need guys to get paid and guys to, to prove that they deserve to be paid at that money. That's why the running back thing fell off so much. And oh, by the way, it's 11.9 million. It's now, it's now $700,000 less than the tight end tag. I had been kind of joining those two positions at the hip. It's going to get harder to do that. We can clearly see what's happening here. TJ Hawkinson got his contract. We're going to see a few more coming down the pipeline. It's a big year for these free agents, right? I don't know that Jacobs and Barkley get tagged again. Certainly Pollard will not. So what kind of free agent deals can they find to kind of keep this thing going? Because we need the top 10, top 25 salaries to continue to rise exponentially to make sure that this franchise tag number keeps going forward. I just don't see it. Not right now, but somebody's going to, you know, Somebody's going to have to blow us out of the water here and we'll see who it is. Maybe Henry stays in that nine to 10 million per year, you know, for one or two seasons and kind of keeps things going from that perspective. But Jonathan Taylor's contract was good. Not sure I see a lot of love coming over the next couple of months here in that regard. The uh, low man on the totem pole, kickers and punters at 5.9 million if you'd like your team to go in that direction for some reason. All right. Again, spotrate.com. That article is live and in depth with all this information and a little bit more. Um, 
speaking to the salary cap, what does it mean? Uh, did it blow? My, it, yes, it, it it blew me away. A, I wasn't ready for the announcement at, at the time that it happened. B, when I saw the number, it was an eye raiser, in a good way. This is what should happen. Teams that leagues that make money should allow their teams or should kind of force their teams to spend money. This is a good thing. If they had slow played this, right? If they had actually gone with the number that we were projecting, two forty-two and a half, I would have been a little bummed because it means they were just staying to the old trends. And that's not what this league is. They are moving forward much, much faster than they were five years ago. So it's correct, in my opinion. Did they go a little bit too far? I don't think so. You know, this is a, a pretty seemingly fair number. I threw a Joe Burrow tweet out that, man, it turned into a Dak Prescott tweet in seven and a half seconds because that's what the Cowboys do to people. But um Basically, I just said, you know, his 55, and a half, 55 million AAV last year, which was the top contract <clears throat> signed in September there for the 2023 season, was percentage based based on last year's salary cap, you know, at a 24.4% at a, at a rate. If I just use that number with this 255.4, it means that if we had a quarterback who was a slam dunk, should make top of the market money. And that's the figure we should go by. It means it's sixty-two point four million this year. Do I believe that's what Dak Prescott should get now? No, and I didn't say that. And anybody who's kind of putting those words in my mouth, look at the market value. All right, it's not that. Let's put it that way. Um, but that's where we are. If we had a Joe Burrow, you know, or a Mahomes, or an Allen, or one of those players who absolutely, without even having to think about it, you know, these guys should be the top of the market. If I'm an agent, that's one of the numbers I'm looking at. Bro did this against that salary cap. And this is a team in contention that has to pay defensive and offensive players just like everybody else, et cetera, et cetera. So just to understand where things have gone in literally six months, right? Joe Burrow signed that contract in September after being injured in, in training camp, right? We had to go through the mess there. We didn't know if that contract was coming. And then it came right before the season, days. And it was at 55 a year. So six months later, the percentage version of that contract would have been $62.4 million per year. It's pretty bonkers. And that quarterback money is not slowing down for anybody. It's a train that is just derailing itself left and right. What did it do to the salary caps of teams in this league? Well, we had some adjustments, of course. Uh, and the big one to talk about, which I did, did speak to on Twitter a little bit, or X now, the Saints are no longer the, uh, the cap hell winners here, the cap hell belt holders. That belongs to the Bills who just haven't gotten the train rolling yet. That's all. They've got plenty of moves to make. They haven't decided which one they're going to put put out there first. I'm sure there's some organizational hierarchy stuff going on still. But the Saints are not waiting. They made three significant cap conversions this week. And uh, that brought them from, really, at one point in time, we had them in 84. So that would have been 74 with the cap increase. <clears throat> so minus, from minus 74 to minus 36 is what the Saints did to themselves this weekend, in large part because Derek Carr did a full base salary restructure on his $30 million base salary for 2024. And why do I say it like that? Well, it's, it freed up a significant amount of money, as you probably imagine, 23 and change. But the big news is that the dead cap now going forward is bonkersville. All right. It's just wild. It looks like it's okay right now if you're looking at his contract on Spotrack. Next year has a $51 million cap it and there's $40 million of dead cap. Great. They can still get out of this thing, take on a you know top five dead cap hit 
and move on from him in tw- after 2024, except <laughs> his $10 million roster bonus for next for 2025 will become fully guaranteed in two weeks, March 15th. So that's 10 million in cash and cap about to hit the books. And at that point in time, $30 million salary around March 16th, 17th next season will also become fully guaranteed. So when you start to do the math, could they buy him out from the $10 million, take on the dead cap hit and go? Sure. They could do it. All right. We've seen crazier things. I think he's going to be on this roster in 2025. And that's kind of the news that took over when this cap conversion was announced is that this isn't just about freeing up space for now. You know, this is a move that probably has to trickle into 2025 and then he'll get his full three year, hundred million dollars and then be uh, removed before his $50 million salary in 2026. So something to keep an eye on. Um, If he plays well, we'll never think anything of this, but if he's inconsistent or maybe even below average, this one's going to hurt a little bit and they may have to take a huge Russell Wilson type hit to get the heck out of that contract a year before they probably should from a structural standpoint. Uh, Miami did a bunch of moves as well. A couple of big releases. Uh, the Xavier Howard deal, by the way, has not officially been put on the books. A, because it's going to be a post-June 1st release, which means it can't happen until March 13th. And B, nothing's going to happen on the books because it's a post-June 1st release. Uh, the deal with that is they got to carry his full 25-9 through June 1st. And then at 4 p.m. Eastern, June 1st, we can officially designate it a post-June 1st re- release. His dead cap will split up and they'll save $18.5 million at that point in time. But if you expect that come March 13th, Miami's going to free up a ton, of, a ton of cap space because of Xavier Howard, and it's just not the case. It's about not paying him cash because they don't, probably don't believe he's, he can stay healthy enough to deserve it. It's about removing that cap space in June, which is not for nothing. It's not going to help them in free agency, but it's not for nothing. It's certainly something they can roll into 2025 at, at the very worst. And then it's you know, about allowing him the opportunity to go and find a new team, which is optics. Yeah, this is a PR. This is, a, this is an entertainment business. So part of it is let this guy go do his business because otherwise he's going to raise hell. If they just carried him without this designation, he'd be rostered. He'd be under contract. He'd be demanding a trade. He'd be unfollowing them on Instagram. He'd be in all the things that players should do when they feel like they're being boxed into a corner. So this is just a safer move. And by the way, announcing it now, when they did, not an accident. It's not against him. It's for him. It's for him. Because now all these other teams can now put him on the list, on the short list. What do we think he's worth? What do we... There's teams already doing their homework, I promise you. All right. And so this was a very player centric move in some capacity. Also a cash move, also a cap move down the line. So that's just something of of note that's going to come up a dozen times at least over the next couple of weeks here when other teams do something like this. Maybe not this dramatic, but certainly we expect Denver to do something heftily dramatic as we spoke about last episode with Russell Wilson. How about the uh, the top of the cap table? The additional ten million or thirteen million in terms of what we are projecting brings Washington over ninety six million in a top fifty one cap space. That's a that's a pretty big number for a team that I just don't know where they're headed. And the same goes for New England, eighty six and change. I don't know. TBD doesn't mean they franchise tag Kyle Duggar. Probably I would. I'd keep him around. That's a core player. 
at least for the one season to figure out what, what you do with the rest of the defensive talent that because that is a fairly good looking crew on that side of the ball. Tennessee is probably the first team where you start to think about, all right, this could get fun because they could go completely down, rip a rip four or five more band-aids off and just say, sorry, we'll love us right <laughs> to, to a certain degree and hope that in 18 to 24 months, it all comes back in, into full circle. Or they could really build and add and, and see what they have and, and give Will Levis a real chance with a fortified offensive line and uh, some weapons to at least jumpstart this offense a little bit quickly to see what they have in the kid before they feel like they have to move on. And then there's, of course, Chicago, who now has $83 million in top 51 space, almost certainly going to franchise tag Jalen Johnson, their star cornerback. Looks like a Justin Fields trade is percolating if I'm reading the right tea leaves here. So that news appears to be coming to full circle. I, I'm certain we'll learn more at the combine when all these heads are bumping elbows. And then, uh, and then it's about the draft and where we go from here. Indianapolis, speaking of the combine, fifth in, in top 51 cap space with just under 80 million. And that's a team that I'd love to be, see be aggressive. I think they have their quarterback. They've paid their running back. They're at least going to franchise tag their wide receiver and Michael Pittman Jr., there's some defensive pieces, even though there's some aging out processing happening there as well. And there's a couple offensive linemen. So pieces are in place to at least be aggressive this offseason. And uh, certainly Indy, Houston, and Detroit, five, six, seven in cap space right now, could be just absolute slayers in terms of what they do in March and April. But, you know, we've been proven wrong before. Okay, switching gears quickly. I mentioned the wide receiver franchise tag. T. Higgins has not officially, but has been, I believe, told that, that he's going to get a franchise tag. $21.8 million for T. Higgins. It's more than we have him valued in terms of a market value. And, you know, that means very little right now because he's stuck. Um, a lot of Cincinnati fans, at least on our timeline, basically saying this is a tag and trade scenario. It's just not as common as you want it to be. You know, Devontae Adams, yes, he was a tag and trade out of Green Bay. The, the room was crumbling in Green Bay. You know, everybody was reading what was happening. Rogers, you knew Rogers was out. Yeah, I just think it's easier said than done. And I think I said on Thursday's pod, I actually think this is pretty a pretty good move for the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, you get one more year to see what this kid is as a number two to Jamar Chase, who you're going to have to pay. And he's he's probably not somebody you're going to be able to replace this quickly. So you go and draft his replacement right now, right now. And you give him 12 months in this wide receiver room to get as up to speed as humanly possible. And then we all go our separate ways. And oh, by the way, Higgins was injured last year, a little bit inconsistent, certainly didn't have his biggest year, right? 656 yards in 12 games. Um, his yards per reception were as high as they've been. He did catch five touchdown passes, but six drops. You know, I, I would say it's one of his least productive years of the four years he's been in Cincinnati. Play out the franchise tag in a good offense that you know with a great quarterback. Kind of reset your value a little bit and then understand you're almost certainly not going to get double tagged. So you will hit the open market in 2025 with probably a better value point. And you're not going to be 27 years old yet. You'll be 26 and change entering March of 2025, like I said probably looking in the 24, 26 range versus where I have him right now in the 18 to 20 per year range. So 
it's probably good for everybody if he just signs this thing, plays it out, and and understands where he is right now, and then that's pretty good money. But I'm not in his ear, and I'm not him. You know, it's not my money. It's not my situation. Um, more tags will come. It's a slow drip. It's not going to be a big bang. March 5th is the deadline. We'll be hearing plenty, plenty more about that in the coming days. Speaking of wide receivers, though, there is some news coming out of Tampa Bay. It's not big news. It's objective news. But it seems like they really are putting an effort in to keep Mike Evans. And I get it. Because, A, you're, you're not going to retain a quarterback without him. And you're really not going to retain any kind of offensive pieces without him and the quarterback. So you start here. You use him as bait to bring Baker back, hopefully on a smaller price than all the numbers that we're saying out loud. Then you got that those two together and everybody else wants to jump on the, on the bandwagon. And I get that. So I believe that the effort is there. Do I believe that they're throwing 22, 24 million a year at him? I don't know. I don't know. They've been, uh, they've come off a very expensive iteration in terms of what Tampa Bay is used to spending and how they structure their contracts. And you know, the void years have been piling up and up and up. I don't know that they want to go top, top market, but they probably have to, all right? Because keeping this guy off of the March 13th open market, it's just easier said than done. He's the preeminent player. He's 30, they're going on 31, zero show, showing of, of decline, historic numbers in terms of thousand yard receptions. You know where this is going. So for our, for our money, he's a four for 95, two years, half of that fully guaranteed. Almost forty-eight million fully guaranteed. So, I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa Bay does it because, like I said, it's probably the the first in a pattern of two to three moves that they'd make right now to kind of show everybody who they are. And if it doesn't happen, that's the fun part, right? He continues to say no. He hits the open market. He signs with the Chiefs. God forbid, right? And then what happens to Tampa if they don't? If this doesn't go in the order that I just mentioned? Mike Evans first, then Baker, and then some ancillary extensions that have to come in after that, Levante David, et cetera. Is it just we're going backwards? Do we start to see backup plans, trades away, subtractions? Or will they give it a year to try to compete with, I don't know, Gardner Minshew? You know, there's worse options, I guess. Jacoby Brissett, there's worse options. Will they try to patch it together for one season and then completely rip this bandit off in 2025? That's what's fascinating is they kind of have two weeks to kind of keep everything together and run it all back. And then it's a fork going left and a fork going right. And I think half the GMs in the league would choose left half or would choose right. That's how finicky this whole situation in the NFC South is, right? What if Atlanta doesn't get their guy? What if Derek Carr is a mess and the Saints are not an eight and nine team or a nine and eight team? The, the entire division is just an absolute disaster. And that's why you try to sign Mike Evans right now, because all you have to do is probably run things back as is, and you're going to be right there in contention. So I get it, but it's fascinating how one move like this could change the next course of not just this year, but the next couple of off seasons for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right. Cody Bellinger. Finally, cousin Dan was right. He's almost always right with this stuff. It was going to be a bridge contract. It was going to be back with the Chicago Cubs who kind of resurrected his career after just an absolute falling off a cliff in this situation. Batting title champion from absolute spotlight, rookie of the year, the world, to 
trash, a negative war, right? Like a negative war in 2021. The Dodgers didn't know what to do with this guy. He posted a 4.4 war last year in 500 at-bats. 26 homers, 97 RBIs, just the goods. Batted 307, slugged 525, OPS over 880. Everything you want out of a, out of a slugger, and he's a pretty damn good center fielder too. Returns to the Cubs on three years, 80 million, except it's actually one for 30, and then another one for 30, and then a one for 20, because he gets two player opt-outs. So Boris got his power. He didn't get his long-term deal. The 30, year, the 30 million in year one is really good coin, all right? especially for a player who made, I believe, 17.5 last year. Yep, 17.5. So you're talking almost doubling your compensation from last year to this year. And then he gets power. He gets control. So if he's great again, you opt out. You try to get your multi-year guarantee there again. However, will he find a multi-year guarantee worth two for 25? Two at 25, two for 50. It's going to be risky, right? He's approaching 30 at that point. Fascinating how this is all going to work. You can understand why teams struggle with this so much. The, the roller coaster of statistics and production and the swing itself. <clears throat> and then just the age was starting to catch up. So like I said, it's a three for 80, which is a 26 and change tax salary. Does keep the Cubs under the first threshold still for those who want to get down and nerdy. But it is a one for 30 until it's not. We'll see what he does with this next winter. Again, we'll, uh, he'll be looking for longer. And if he has another season like last season, I, I think he'll find it. But we're in that murky water here with Major League Baseball free agency where you, you never quite get exactly what you think. And that goes for everybody from the third to the 400th free agent, right? The top three, two, usually get exactly what we all think they're going to get. And then it really falls off a cliff. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. So what's to come from Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery and Matt Chapman? We'll see. But I have a feeling it's going to look a heck of a lot like this. Three, four years, at least an opt-out in there. Pretty high first-year salary, front-loaded. Those are the compromising points that Boris will get. And, you know, in, in addition to or an exception to an eight-year contract, which is what he's used to get. So I get it. Probably good for baseball this way. You know me in short contracts. So uh, I wish Bellinger had gotten his big payday. I was rooting for it. This is probably the smarter bet, and I'm glad he's back with the Cubs. That should come full circle in 2024. Speaking of long-term extensions, let's finish this thing off with Bryce Harper. Uh, if you haven't heard, <clears throat> Bryce Harper has at least put feelers out there that he is looking to get this thing redone at some point in time. I don't think he's demanding it right now. I don't think he has gone to anybody officially and said, well, you know, it's time. Here's why I'm saying this now. Bryce Harper has eight years, $196 million left on his contract, right? This was a 13-year, $330 million contract. And if you remember, if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, by the way, thank you. But also, I absolutely ran this one through the, through the washing machine, all right? I didn't understand it. Why would that agent with this client want to do this? <clears throat> All right. And by the way, I was justified because months, years and months later, Patrick Mahomes and his shiny little 12 year 480 contract in the NFL with a hard salary cap <clears throat> looked around the room and said, What the hell are we doing here? Why am I making this money when Joe Schmo and Daniel Jones, apologies to Daniel Jones, is making that money? It just got to a point where 
I have so much left and I'm still not going to make enough because I'm Patrick Mahomes. Well, he's Bryce Harper. He's not that Bryce Harper. All right. Yes, there's been decline. Yes, there's been injury. Yes, he's now 31 years old. So there's a lot going on here. And yes, there's eight years, 196 million left in this contract. So what is he looking for? Is he looking for a tack on? Because right now he's signed through age 38, 2031. Is he looking to make that 40? Right? Would a two-year, I don't know, $80 million extension do this? That's old school shit, man. That's what teams used to do when they were printing money in this league, when everybody in the world was watching baseball in July instead of sitting outside with high noons. It's not happening anymore. All right. Those days are gone. So is he asking what I think he's asking for, which is a rip it up and start over? Because that's not happening either. And here's why I know it's not happening. Because his GM is Dave Dombrowski. And if you know anything about him, and you should, he's putting pretty important to this modern baseball era, financially speaking. My guess is he got wind of this and sat down in a chair somewhere and lit up a cigar and said, let's do it, right? Let's have this conversation because he know he can't lose this one. He can't lose it. He has the track record. He has the World Series. He's got so much in his back pocket and Bryce Harper simply does not. He has been successful. He has been successful with this franchise. He's been good for this franchise. He's going to play first base now to reduce his injury, injury history. There's a lot of things that Bryce Harper brings to the table that we don't see. But it doesn't mean ripping up eight years of Major League Baseball. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Okay? The only kind of version of this is the early extension. <clears throat> and that's Ryan Braun. And that's Christian Yelich. And really nobody else. Mike Trout. Mike Trout. So that's the only name that Harper has going for him right now. All right? Mike Trout signed a somewhat restructured extension in March of 2019. Here's the difference. At that point in time, he had two years left on a six-year contract. So they just decided, all right, well, we'll turn half of that money into a signing bonus and we'll push the rest of it out 12 years into a 12 for 480, essentially. Very, very different. right? And oh, by the way, he was 26 years old when that happened. <laughs> right? So there's just no, there's no comparison for this. There's no template for this. It doesn't happen in this sport. It shouldn't happen here. And this is coming from somebody who has all the Bryce Harbor rookie cards. And even as a Mets fan, right, following this guy in this division now twice, I root, I root for him like crazy. Not in this case. All right. You signed the 13 for 330. You listened to your agent. You didn't want to have to go through this again. And now halfway through, here we are. Halfway through. It's not even close to halfway through, right? We're five years into this thing. Here we are. Sure, the Otani stuff was world-breaking news, all right? Sure, Aaron Judge got an unbelievable contract. They're just not being handed out left and right like that anymore. He's on the wrong side age-wise. He's on the wrong side of the injury stuff. And he's, a, and he's way on the wrong side of what's remaining on his contract to even consider starting over at some point. And if you think the tack-on thing is going to happen, it is going to be so heavily conditioned from a team standpoint that it won't even be worth his time to sign it. It just won't.
Now, you want to take some years off your current contract and start over, right? So let's go four more years on, at this number, and then we can renegotiate some conditionals to add additional options from there to increase your pay over the last couple of years when you're probably not going to hit those thresholds anyway because you're going to be 35 years old. Maybe that's something I can get, get down with. But he took the 13 years because he wanted to lower the tax salary. He got baited into the, 20, into the tax salary situation as one of the biggest superstar free agents that ever hit the market. I hated it then. I hate it now for him. I hate that he's going through this. I hate that he has to say this stuff out loud. At some point in time, this is going to cause turmoil between him and the front office, and he's going to demand a trade out of Philadelphia. That's what's going to happen here. That's the outcome. It's not the new contract. It's not the conditional. It's not the tack on extension. It's if this is really what happens and they don't start winning World Series and fall in love with each other, it's going to be an ugly divorce and he's going to end up somewhere he doesn't want to be playing because this front office basically threw him to the curb. I'd hate to see it happen. He's an absolute gamer. He does everything right. I think he says things, most things right you know, most of the time. He signed this contract. And unfortunately, in this sport where restructures and cap conversions don't happen, he's just going to have to live with it. And it sucks. But it is what it is. It's 13 for 330. And that's pretty much how he's going to finish his career. All right. We'll be back soon with hopefully some big NFL news, hopefully a couple more Major League Baseball signings. And uh, we'll start to get Keith Smith on here pretty regularly as we get closer to those NBA basketball playoffs as well. First guy, my name is Mike Trinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>